So we're in Romans, this amazing, important, incredible book that uh, helps us get grounded in the Christian life. You know, I'm so excited about the gospel, the good news. Jesus did it. It is finished. It worked. We are new and free and this life we get to have. And Paul goes there, right? Paul, and we've seen it as he started. He says, hey, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm declaring it. It's Jesus for us. It's done. Okay, we're done. Why have the whole book? Well, why does he even have to say he's ashamed, right? Because it sounds too good to be true. Sounds like, sure, don't you need some other things that you need to do? Uh, aren't there other things, you know? He said, no, I'm not ashamed because the power of God is at work for you, truster of Jesus. Because the righteousness of God is revealed just by trust. Amazing. We have trouble with these things. We don't actually take them in. We start to take them in part way, or we don't really understand even the terms, even righteousness and the things we're talking about. I, my wife sent me this uh, yesterday. I, I liked it. it was, you go to the Salsa class. The instructor comes out, says, okay, who's ready to dance? You look down at your bag of tortilla chips. <laughs> I think there's been a misunderstanding. I thought it was a Salsa class. <laughs> I love salsa. See, what's the issue? The issue is that understanding of the words. We don't understand what was going on there with the words. We're like that a little bit with righteousness. Like I, by trusting Jesus, have his righteousness. I got none of my own. What does that mean? How do I even grab that? That's why Paul, when he starts talking about why he's not ashamed, he says, what I'm really not ashamed of is, is the power of God at work in you and, 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 and the, the righteousness of God revealed by trusting Jesus. And, 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 and really then he focuses in, and we started last week focusing in, because he does, on the wrath of God. So why does he need to do that? Why does he need to go there? You know, I don't really like the wrath of God personally. I think it's a little hard for me to, to get and grab. Because you need to see that, that there's two rooms and what there's two righteousnesses. I want to use God to get mine. And we got to see what a dead end it is. It may sound like a bummer, but it's a preface to the best news there is. And this is a bit of our problem is we, we struggle with these concepts. So this is what we started on last week and says that the wrath of God is visible if you have eyes, says Paul, you know, just look at the world. People should see and acknowledge their creator, but instead they, they don't. And so God's indignant. The way that I thought might be helpful to start us in to the context of today's passage, which is the first half of chapter 2, is that we, we, we see that it's like we walk into a room and the room is trashed. The pictures are askew on the wall. There's there, there's stains on the carpet. The pillows are ripped up and there's feathers everywhere. And we say, what a mess. What do you do next? The next thing I want to do is let's clean it up. Let's get it cleaned up so it's better than it was. But this is a mess. We've got to fix this room. But you see, Paul says the issue is the person that made the mess. He did it on purpose. 
He allowed it to happen to, as, as, as to show, to reveal to you that things are not right. And so today, with that impulse that I have for my life and for other people's, I want to point and say, you got to fix this. you got to get better. And Paul says, no, you don't understand. You're part of the room. You're part of the room. In yourself, in your life, we're talking about your righteousness. We're talking about the world here. We haven't gotten to Jesus in an amazing other way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, you see. But let's talk about it over here because you keep wanting to be over here. That's why we're talking today about clear standards. About the clarity and, and directness of God and the Holy Spirit through Paul to point at you and me, me included, I'm definitely there, to say, you know what? The law's not a vacuum. It, 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 it's not a, a broom. It's a mirror. And you're not looking very good. <laughs> me neither. So how we see the problem? How do we, how do we get a please God? And I think it's by cleaning the room up. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, you're judged. Take it in. It's, it's good news because the gospel's true. And you've got to be able to see the line. So that's what we're looking for today. It's not the way. What we're looking today is not the way. And I want you to convince you it's not the way. But it's not the way because the Bible says so. Okay, enough. This is, this is what we ended with this last week. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges who looks around and says, oh, look at that ruthless person. Look at that evil person. Look at that lustful person. Look at that person who's in sexual immorality. And, and look at that person who's not doing things right. It says every single one who starts to point. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. See, you're part of the room. That's messed up. That's what he says, right? Now, my initial response, and I hope yours is too, I read something like that, and, and, and I go, you know what? That, I guess that's okay in theory, but I'm really not that bad. Like, he's going to have to, I don't understand, because I, you know, I've always kind of been a more moral person than the people around me, and I, I've always been able to get by, and in fact, my life's gone okay, and, and I feel like I'm doing the, what God wants me to do in my life. So, therefore, this is other people. <laughs> it's not me could be me what is that seems overly broad okay well hold on to your hats and glasses as the disney ride says because he's going to go down this road and first it's inescapable this judgment on you and me so he says in verse two therefore you have no excuse oh man that's humankind right oh wait did I miss that? Oh, that's the last verse. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Okay, so he just says, okay, the judgment of God falls on people who practice the things that he just talked about in chapter 1. And that's going back and saying unnatural sexuality or, or ruthlessness or covetousness or, or, or not obeying your parents. or just, There's a long list, right? It's not wrong to say the room's a mess. This world is a mess. It's undeniable, and judgment falls. By the way, it's not wrath falls, it's judgment falls. 
that means you come and look, right? And there, there's a plant, and there's a plant, and it's got a branch, and the branch is withered and, and, and diseased, and it's kind of maybe going to spread down. You cut the branch off. That's just a judgment. It's just finding reality. Here's reality. It's deformed and bad. Let's cut it off. It's that idea, right? The, the, the really important thing is, uh, is, is this thought, though, still that I have, and you, maybe you, I don't practice such things. Those things are judged. The judgment of God rightly falls on people who practice bad things. And then he says this, do you suppose, oh man, mankind, he's not talking man or woman, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. By the way, that's emphatic. If you look at the Greek in this text, it's emphatic. The, 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 the emphasis is really strong. Do you, you think you'll escape? Honestly, most of the time the answer is yes, I do. How do I think I'll escape? By not doing them. I think other people do really, really bad things, but my bad things are explainable. You know, I had a tough childhood. Do you understand what those people said to me? Therefore, I did this. Boy, the company I work for, they like make way too much money. Me taking a little bit is only just and right and true. I explain it away, right? I think I'm going to escape. I I evaluate yourself and you say, I'm part of the good guys. If you say such a thing, even in your own heart, then you're saying you live naturally as God made you to live, perfectly as he's told you to. You know, perfect peace, no anxiety, submission to a God who created you. And do and, and you see yourself and your desires without missing any mark? You might say, well, you know, honestly, honestly, you might say, hey, honestly, that's why my life goes okay. If I do the things that are good, my life goes okay, and my life's going pretty okay. That's why he says this, or, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Oh, what, what's he getting at? So if you think you're generally okay, then the real question is this one. Do you, do you presume on the riches of his kindness? That means he's incredibly kind to you in the midst of your not doing all the things that you should. You see, my evaluation of, of, of my circumstances or comparing myself to other people and saying, hey, I'm doing a little better. Is, is that like, oh yeah, that's because I'm good? Or is that because God's just being kind to you? He's being patient with you. And it goes back to what we just said in verse, do do you realize, you who judge, that you practice the very same things? I don't want to accept that. But it's, it's not a question, it's a statement. You can hide that from me. I don't know you very well. You can hide that from other people. They don't know you very well. You cannot hide that from God. 
every single way in which you have unnaturally not done how God made you to be, which is perfect obedience, submission, leaning on him, understanding his ways. You say, hey, I, I, I want that. And, and it's not the wanting, it's the are you. And so we're judged, right? And so even the ways that we kind of try and make sense of our circumstances and how they go, it is God being kind and patient and giving time. And what's it meant to do? It's meant to break your heart. Change your mind. That's repentance, right? I'm going to turn. It's meant to say, no, I, not, not turn and do good. Not always patiently waiting so I'll finally get it together and clean my room up. It's to say, oh, the room is so broken. <laughs> which you seem not to be able to do about yourself. I'm so good with talking about how my kids' rooms are messy or talk about how your house is messy. But I want my house to be my house Christ's home. By the way, you're not allowed in my office. You'll see a mess all over. We're great actors, but the reality is, and, and, and he's saying here, it's meant to turn your heart and say, I can't, I can't, I can't. And instead, what we do is we say, oh, they can't. And, and he's going after you. That's what he's doing. He's saying that just because you don't have the exact behavior patterns of the people that you judge, you are still part of the room. You are splashed with the same sin you, in an ire. You're allowed to have desires that aren't quite right by God. You have mixed motives that drive your behaviors. You, you don't live like you should naturally and without struggle. And you don't obey like you ought to naturally and without struggle. You, you think somehow you've done something good by, by, by going against your own desire and having your quiet time instead of loving to have your quiet time. There are no motives, you know, in this world, except for mixed motives. Think on that. Is that true? If so, what does it say about you? It says I'm not pure. Not in myself. We haven't gotten to Jesus. We are, not, we are in this room. We are looking at you. We are looking at your righteousness. We're looking at, you know, Saul's at number one. So what we do is we go towards this idea of, of, of I'm keeping my head above water so God must be happy with me and not at George over there. I'm sorry if there's a George over there. Hope your name's not George. I don't mean you. You know, he's getting divorced. Not me. Hmm. Who do you think you are, you who practice the exact same things? Well, I'm a presumer on God's kindness is what I am as I make those sorts of things, right? So he, he says this, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You, the judger. What an awful idea, this is David Brown, one of the commentators. What an awful idea is here expressed that the sinner himself is amassing like hoarded treasure and ever accumulating stock of divine wrath. This is said not of the reckless, but of those who boast in their purity. 
So if the goodness of God is not leading you into changing your mind about your own righteousness, then every day, every hour you live drips another drop into this horrible treasure of indignation which will burst on the great day of God's long-suffering. And and he finally says, judgment is here, time to lop off the branch. It is ire on self-righteousness. That's what it is. He's not talking now about the the people who are caught in these sins in chapter 1. He's talking about the person who's pointing at that. Self-righteousness. Huge. Okay. Well, this is making me uncomfortable. Okay, but, but, but then I might think, well, but that's, God's not being fair in this, you know. I'm not as bad as those people over there. Can't he distinguish? You better believe he can distinguish. He's God. The very nature of God is he's impartial. let's, Let's look. He will render to each one according to his works. Every single person by what they do. Right? That's what, that's what, Paul writes, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Okay. How could it be otherwise? Render, it says, that's re- recompense of reward or judge. There's, there, there, there's kind of this two possible outcomes, right? Only two. There's not halfways. It's real important. It says, hey, there's going to be group one and there's going to be group two. I got that. On the one hand, you know, on the other hand, construction. So he goes out of his way to say the work that God so rewards is a persistent lifestyle of godliness. That's what he says. That that was verse 7. Those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality. The glory, honor, and immortality is is absolutely trusting and leaning on who God is and and, and acting in such a way that you are righteously following this God. That's what it means. It doesn't mean I'm trying to be strong. It means, yeah, no, you, you do it right all the time from your heart exactly. That's the way that he's talking about. And if you don't do that perfectly, then you're self-seeking and you don't obey the truth, you obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. Does that sound just? Amen, it does. What's the problem? He's already told you 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 don't do it. You're already in a camp. You're in this one. You're not in part one. He's already said that, right? You who judge, you do the very same thing. I mean, but, that, but he's impartial. It's not like saying that you, 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 he, he doesn't do this. Of course he does. He looks at what's there, and he is about reality. He's not about you faking something. He's about reality. So the psalmist in Psalm 1, he says, Blessed is the man. Amen. He keeps going, right? There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. 
So the Jew first, because they have a relationship with God, they get the law, they have all these things. We're going to talk about that later. But really, he's applying this to all humankind. He's saying, don't you dare think it's not about God judging everyone impartially. Our God is impartial. He doesn't play favorites. He knows. And when he says about the standard, it's not theoretical. It's real, right? It's not bait and switch. It's like, oh, 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 yes. No, you know, God will look at you and maybe you're a little better than that person and he'll figure it out. And Yeah, that's kind of true, except he's looking at everyone saying, none of these branches, none of them are anything but diseased. And it will be just, and you will agree. You look with impartial eyes what God does when he does it the day of wrath. And and you'll say, yeah, that one's dead. Oh, boy, that one's dead, too. Ooh, but that's about disease. He's establishing, Paul is, that God will judge every person on the same basis. The focus is on the standard of judgment. And and say, well, 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 wait, actually take into account my childhood. My desperate situation that people didn't treat me as they ought to treat treated me. Yes, he will. Of course he will. He's God. He sees it all. And when God doesn't play famous uh, favorites, the door is open, right? For anybody to reveal that they're seeking God's way. God's glory and honor, who consistently do good and doesn't vary. It's not special for the Jews. It's no different for an atheist or a Buddhist. I mean, honestly, or Jew, right? For men or women, for Americans or Irish or Russians. Humanity before God all judge the same impartial way. Of course. Don't get your hopes up. Why not? Because this is where it goes. All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. God will give everybody a clean, clear look at what you have done and whether you are growing rightly or whether you're a diseased plant, whether you're messed up in the room in a ripped, shredded pillowcase or a proper pillowcase that covers the pillow. And if you're not, as you should be, it is right, he who made it, to say, this one's ripped and shredded. Toss it. It doesn't matter whether you are a Jew or a Greek or whether you have the rules or not. The issue is, are you who you should be? Well, I don't know who gets to decide that. I do. God does. I certainly don't get to decide it. I don't get to come with some rules and look at your life and say, are you as you should be? Who am I? But I know who does. God does, right? Of course he does. Are you with me? This is what he's talking about. This is where he's going. he's, he's, He's making sure you see as he talks about the room of the world that we're in. If you miss... Any mark you're showing, you're part of the mess, and judgment comes. Sin means death. If you've sinned, it's over. Who here hasn't sinned? I mean, the law is really helpful. It's a clear standard. 
It's, it, 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 it just reveals, though, right? So when you say law-based, and this is a law-based, God's based on law. It's based on an on, on clear understanding of rules of behavior. But, but it's not the rules that are, that are in play. It's the person who do they do the rules. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. I don't care how long you study it. I don't care if you know it. I don't care if you can recite it to me. So it's only when it's obeyed, right? Reading and hearing and studying and knowing. That doesn't help. It follows this Jewish teaching. Not, not expounding of the law as the chief thing, but the doing. The doing. And, and you know that means he's not talking about, well, you know, I kind of wanted to. No, he's not talking about, I had to desire to like do it because it was very self-interest of me. I mean, I know that if I could do the law, I live. That gives me a very powerful motivation to do the law. Yeah, but the first of the laws, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is love your neighbors yourself. And I don't do either one very perfectly. By the way, this is not talking about Christians, right? I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about every single soul who's ever lived. I don't care who, what, you, what God you profess to know. I don't care what anything. I just care, do you do? Are you naturally who God has made you to be? The law is the mirror, right? The mirror pokes up this, these, these things and the mirror makes you look at yourself. And when you look at yourself, you say, Oh, I haven't. Or maybe you want to say, yes, you have. That option is there. You can play that card. In fact, he goes there. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, you don't have to know the rules, but when by nature you do what the law requires, you do that then they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. That sounds like a little glimmer of hope. What is he talking about? He's saying, I don't really even care if you know the Ten Commandments. I just care if you live as you're supposed to live. If reality looks like what you're supposed to do. And he says, boy, it could be that you have no clue about the law. So don't worry about actually knowing it. Just concerned about whether you actually do what it says to do. And if a Gentile does that, that's fabulous. That would be that you are a room that is clean. Of course, there's this piece here because he's knocking at Jews who think they've got the law, so they have a relationship with God. And, and he's saying, hey, that, yeah, even a Gentile, if they would do what the law said, it's going to bear witness. Their conscience is the Greek sense of conscience, this inner sense, you know, right and wrong, in this natural way that you could be, that you could be right. And, and, and therefore, your, your, your conflicting thoughts could accuse or even, in some cases, excuse them. The even means it's not likely Certainly not all the time because it's conflicting. 
The God who judges, and he says, you know what? We should not, and be careful, there are people who do, say that, man, if you don't know Jesus, you can't do anything good. Really? The sacrifice that a woman makes for her child. The selfless, amazing act of wonder that somebody does for another person because because they want to love that. I said, that's amazing. So you take a look and say, well, that picture kind of hung right. But there's stains on the carpet and the beds in pieces and the room is ripped up because because there's conflicting things that we all do all the time. And and this is the description of human life is that we're a mix. We're a ball of yarn. We're we're, we're all scrambled together. And there's some kind of cool threads in there. If you could get them out, that's pretty cool. But the whole thing, he says, is not going to make it. That's what he's talking about. The particular law, right? And Luther writes, says it this way, the knowledge of the work is written. That is the law that is written in letters concerning the works that have to be done, but not the grace to fulfill them. And, and so what's coming, according to Paul, is that day is coming. It's not here yet. When according to my gospel, my good news God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is good news, he says. This is why it's important, because God sees it all. And and the good news of Jesus Christ is that he comes again, and his coming brings everything hidden to light then, right? Not now. Right now, there are secrets of men. You've got secrets. You've got things in your heart you haven't told me. You may have told nobody. We have these things. I don't know what you do in secret. God does. And it comes to light. And justice happens. And, and it comes in a day when Jesus Christ, the judge, will do it as the great leveler, right? Because the direct statement that underlies Paul's argument is every single heart in this room and throughout all ages show we are part of a mess. We're all in the messy. You're part of the messy room. I don't deserve to avoid the shearing knife. There's no hope in me. That's this idea of repentance. I change my mind. About what? About my own self-righteousness. You know, confessing Christ didn't change that. I still think I have no righteousness of my own, along with Paul. (laughs) Hope you feel that way. So, so to actually say, well, well, wait, 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 we're, we're, we're ending, but what, are, are, we, are we just a worm then? No, I'm saying with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because we have been stuck standing and you got to know it, you got to feel it, you got you to stand in the messy room and realize you're part of it. You got no hope in self-righteousness, none. You got no hope in your mixed motives, in your me plus a little Jesus thoughts. You know, if Jesus just helps me, the Holy Spirit just gives me a little power here, I'll clean the room up for God. Uh, No, you haven't. No, you won't. And God's judging it and it's going to take it away. 
The standards are clear and they catch me without excuse and without escape. The gospel, you see, that Paul's not ashamed of is something new. What is it? It's the righteousness of somebody else given to me. It's a newness given to me. It's a new life given to me. It's a new heart given to me. It's life by trust alone. I don't see it. It's not by sight. I don't look like anything different. I don't look like anything better. But I am. But I am. Jesus says he will give us a new heart and a new name and a new hope. Trust me, he says. And so, so we do. We don't go back down to cleaning up the mess, but we receive a God who is pleased. He's happy because he declared it, right? The, the skies broke when Jesus is getting baptized and God speaks. This is my beloved son. In what? In whom I am not angry. Well pleased. Let's get in him. Let's get in his room. Let's say, yes, Jesus, you did it and it worked. Let's be free because he's done it. It's nothing good that I have done, but only by his work that I come. It's, it's all him all the time. He's got you. And we help each other right here to say, I need good news. Here it is. Here's good news. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit, your comforter, Oh, the one who breaks your bonds. By works of the law or by hearing with faith. And today, let me declare to you that you have heard that you have no hope in yourself, that we are not ashamed of this gospel. And the gospel declared to you is Jesus Christ died for you and it worked. His love poured out, his blood poured out, his life poured out that you and I might have life eternal. By what? By his promise, trusting him. I don't have any righteousness of my own, but he'll use me. It may not look like much. It certainly doesn't look like my self-evaluation of what I think I ought to be doing to clean up the room. But that's because I'm dying to that, as we'll get to see in Romans. And I'm living knowing that I actually have the best news you could ever have. Jesus Christ really did it. And he adores you. And it works. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that you have done it, that it is finished, that you died on a cross for us. And Lord, as we consider the reality of us not being who we ought to be in our natural man, forgive us, Lord. We have fallen far astray. We are mixed in our motives and our desires and the things that we do. But, Lord, we together, we put our trust in your son, in what he has done, in trusting he will use us here, in our freedom to rejoice and declare we are not ashamed of your good news, that you've done it all for us. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, before we go today, we'll